Hi, this is Dr. Eric Fields with a new episode of my podcast entitled Addiction and the New Trend of Treatment. So, in today's episode, what I really wanted to discuss was this concept of deciding whether or not you're ready for a change whether or not you're ready to make changes in your behavior and more specifically changes in your compulsive behavior your addictive behavior um, your dependent behavior however you want to refer to it and this really is one of the the first steps in the process of change so there's this stages of change model that was created by Prochaska and Di Clemente and it basically proposed that there are a number of stages that a person goes through when they are embarking on any kind of significant change in their life and we can start at any one of these uh, stages and we can regress to earlier stages or progress to higher level stages and what have you but basically the model starts off with the first stage which is known as the pre-contemplative stage and just as the term implies this stage has to do with a person who is not even contemplating change yet in their life so in other words they're not even thinking that either change is an option or that they need to make a change. In therapy, when somebody comes into our practice who is in the pre-contemplative stage, it is usually a person who was referred by somebody else. So in other words, the situation could be that their spouse referred them because they can no longer tolerate their behavior or maybe they were mandated by the courts or some other authority etc 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 needless to say a person in the pre-contemplative stage is not somebody who is easy to work with in therapy <laughs> um, they're not somebody who is impossible to work with because there are certain strategies and techniques that we can use to kind of move them through the stages and to get them to the next level but it is difficult now the next level is known as the contemplative stage and this is a stage that very commonly is one in which a patient will be in when they first enter therapy or treatment and the contemplative stage is a stage 
that's characterized by a person really starting to think about whether or not they should make a change. Um, it's a person that is seriously considering making a change and basically weighing the pros and the cons of, of making such a change in their life, wondering if it's going to be worth it, uh, etc., etc. The next stage in the model is another stage that patients, new patients, are commonly in when they enter treatment, and that is known as the preparation stage. This is somebody who has decided that a change is necessary, and they are prepared to make this change. However, they don't really know how to go about it or what the exact plan is going to be, and hence the decision to enter treatment or therapy. Many times a person in this stage has already tried to make the change on their own, um, and usually unsuccessfully, and so at this point they have considered therapy. So more patients, I would say, are in this stage when they first enter therapy than any other one. But we certainly get plenty in the contemplative stage and once in a while, a few in the pre-contemplative stage. Now the next stage is usually a stage that a person will enter having been in treatment for a little while and this is known as the action stage. And so the action stage is exactly what the name implies. It's the stage where people are actually um, making some progress towards their goals and making necessary changes in their life. And they have a plan that has been collaboratively come up with by both them and the therapist. And so, at this point, we certainly wouldn't say that the patient has met their goals, but we would say that the patient is making progress towards their goals and definitely starting to have some success. And during the action stage, it is very common um, more often the, the exception rather than the rule that they will have some um, false starts or they will start out with a plan and not be so successful with it and then we'll have to kind of go back to the drawing board and come up with a new plan or the plan has not met with a lot of success or has only taken them so far and now we have to kind of revamp it in order for them to really get uh, the full benefit of therapy and get them to that next level that they're aspiring to get to. So throughout this process 
I think it's important to understand that you need to know where your head is at at all times. You, because the strategies are different depending on what stage of change you're in. So, you know, basically, it's not so simple as saying, I'm going to make a change, I need to, and that's it. Um, If it were that simple, people wouldn't need therapists, right? And I'm sure that's been your experience with many things in life. I mean, how many times have you said, I want to accomplish this goal, and sure enough, lo and behold, although you're motivated in terms of mentally, you've made up your mind that you want to do it, but for whatever reason, there's a difficulty executing. Um, The best example I can give is people with New Year's resolutions regarding weight loss, right? So like, it's a new year, I'm going to lose the weight, I've made up my mind, this is the time to do it, and I'm going to do it. And it doesn't happen. And so then people get down on themselves and they say, well, what the heck? Like, I said I wanted to do it, it should have happened. And it's just not that simple. It's not as simple as A leads to B. You come up with an idea and then it just happens. Really, the missing ingredient is B, but not the way that you're looking at it, because the way you're looking at it is B is the end result. We're really in that kind of model, C is the end result. A is the decision to make a change. C is accomplishing that change. B is the plan that gets you from A to C. And so it's that middle part of the model that is very, very important in terms of actually making a behavioral change. And when we're looking at the stages of change model, right, in the pre-contemplative stage, there isn't even an A, (laughs) right? So we, we haven't even started on the journey, so to speak, right? And then when we start contemplating it and then committing, mentally committing to making the change, then we have the A. We've now decided that it's worth it to do this and we're going to make the change, but that's still not enough. And coming up with that first step, that A, the decision to make the change, is really going to happen in stages two and three of the stages of change model. It's not to, uh, I'm sorry, it's not until stage four, um, the action stage, where we really start addressing the B, which is coming up with a plan on how to get there. And that is really where therapy becomes very, very useful. Therapy is extremely useful at every single stage of that model, even in the pre-contemplative stage, because 
therapy can get a person who didn't think they needed to make a change to actually start self-reflecting and becoming more honest with themselves and realizing that a change is necessary. Now, I had said in the first podcast that with my approach and, and all harm reduction approaches, you know, the, this new trend of addiction treatment, we never are forcing goals down anyone's throats. We're not trying to be manipulative um, in any way. I'm sure inadvertently, maybe sometimes therapy can manipulate somebody uh, into making a positive change or what have you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that is not a main strategy or a main emphasis to manipulate somebody. Um, if that happens, it, it happens uh, inadvertently. What we're really trying to do is to get the person to be honest with themselves. And can it be the case where somebody is in a pre-contemplative stage um, erroneously? In other words, you know, I, I characterize the person as a pre-contemplator because they're not ready to make a change, but through therapy, I eventually discover early on maybe that some people don't need to make a change and that's why they don't want to make the change. And just because their spouse thinks it's really important for them to make a change or somebody else doesn't necessarily mean that they should. And I have no issue coming to that conclusion and being honest with myself and saying that this is a person that is very content with living the life that they're living and there's no reason to make a change. And that's the real difference with the harm reduction approach and my particular brand of that approach is it's very non-judgmental. Um, I have had people come to my practice that drink a lot in terms of how society would characterize their drinking or use drugs a lot or you know any other kind of compulsive behavior or behavior we would look at as compulsive and there's a lot of people that might disagree with me and may say hey if it's really compulsive or it seems excessive it's not it's not good and i would say in a large majority of cases that's probably true but not in all not in every case there are some people that drink a lot. According to the uh, American Medical Association's guidelines, they're way over that, right? In terms of what's healthy. Um, or in terms of what society looks at as healthy, they're way over that. But they're happy in their life and they're making progress and it's not interfering in any kind of significant way in any major domain of their life or not enough to offset the pleasures that they derive from their usage. So I just wanted to make that point that, you know, just because a person is not ready to make a change or doesn't want to make a change, I should say, doesn't mean that they are a pre-contemplator. A pre-contemplator implies that the person should make a change, that it's you know, something that would benefit them 
because at this point in their life, their behavior is harmful. Hence the term, the harm reduction approach. Our approach is to reduce harm. If we don't feel that the patient is really harming them, or I would go as far to say, if we think that the harm they're doing to themselves, let's say it's physical harm because they're drinking a lot, if, if, if you know, we truly believe that the physical harm they're doing to themselves um, does not offset the joys that they're deriving from it. You know, I'll use that old saying, you know, um, you know, uh, live hard and die young, right? I mean, some people live by that mantra, you know what I'm saying? Where they just want to have as much fun as they can in, in life and they realize a lot of this fun behavior may shorten their life and they're okay with that. Well, if they're okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Who am I to say that you're not living the way you should be? Who am I to make that decision for them? If this is how they want to choose to live their life and, and they don't mind that it's going to have some negative ramifications on their health and they feel that it's worth it, that the um, benefits or the enjoyment of their usage outweighs um, some of the physical effects that it's going to have on them, who am I to judge? So my main point is, if somebody is in the pre-contemplative stage, then it follows that there is a lot of evidence that they are not truly happy or fulfilled with their life. That eventually, if they really are a true pre-contemplator, we will discover that and I told you we're not big on these terms such as denial, but for this one example, I'll, I'll use this term, um, you know, we may find that this person was in denial or didn't want to, we'll just simply say, didn't want to acknowledge that they were not very fulfilled or happy with the lifestyle that they were living. And then they eventually come to the point where they decide that, yeah, I really do want to make a change. I'm not fulfilled living the life this way. Then we would call that person a pre-contemplator. But only once we've discovered that. Otherwise, I have to conclude that if they're really talking to me uh, a lot and giving me specifics and really giving me... Uh, a strong, genuine impression that they're really fulfilled and they're, they don't see any real issue with how they're living, then I have to conclude they're not a pre-contemplator, that they just don't need to make a change, even despite what their, their wife or the courts or someone else says. So that's an important thing to keep in mind, you know, that not everyone needs to make a change. And I'm a firm believer, I don't really care what society says about your behavior or what other people say about your behavior. I care the most about how you feel about your behavior. That's what's important to me. And if at the end of the day you truly believe that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing or that you're okay with it and you're getting more pleasure out of... Um, 
negative consequences, then by all means. The only caveat that I would throw out there in terms of me not caring what other people think about a person's behavior, as long as it's not harming people, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, some, you know, very obvious ways that a person's behavior could be harmful to another person, such as them being physically or emotionally abusive to other people and, and things of that nature, you know. But if the person is not bothered by that kind of behavior, then we're probably dealing with a sociopath. And that is <laughs> a discussion for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> okay, so back to being serious about this. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because before you jump into therapy, I want you to think about what stage of change are you in and really to, to start thinking about the cost-benefit analysis of change or the pros and cons of change for you and whether or not you're ready to commit to making a change. You don't need to come to therapy with a plan already. And, and listen, sometimes I do get patients who are already in the action stage. They've already come up with a plan on their own and have had some success, but want to kind of take their success to a new level. And, you know, so they seek out therapy to get to that next level. That happens too. That's not the typical patient, but that can happen as well. Um, but it's important to think about this. Are you ready to make a change? Do you want to make a change? Is it going to be beneficial to you? Or is it going to be worth the sacrifice? You know, whenever we're talking about making some kind of significant change in our life, right, more often than not, we're talking about sacrifice at the same time. I've noticed that the older I get in my adulthood, I start to realize more and more that there aren't too many decisions that are totally clear cut where it's just kind of like, oh, this is a duh, like, yeah, like, here are two choices clearly it's choice B that I should do. Um, some people erroneously look at making a change regarding their addiction like that. And that's a problem. You know, people will, will look at that and say, duh, I'm drinking way too much. Obviously, I have to cut down. I need to do choice B, which is cutting down and making a change or being abstinent or whatever, but changing my usage. So if choice A is maintaining your usage, choice B is changing it, right? And a lot of people will talk about their addiction like that. Like, well, of course I need to change this. Of course I need to cut down or stop doing coke or heroin or gamble or what have you. But when they say that, they're, and when they say it in that way, they're not acknowledging that this is not such an easy decision. That as I've discussed in 
other podcasts, there are benefits that one gets from their addiction. If it were that simple, where it simply was not a good thing to do and they don't get any benefit from it, then making a change regarding someone's addiction or compulsive behavior would be simple. It would be so easy. It's like you telling me I can't ever eat squingeal anymore. For me, I really dislike squingeal. So I'm not going to have a problem (laughs) with making that decision. However, if you tell me that I need to cut down on eating um, peanut butter ice cream, which I really love, that could be a little bit more difficult for me because I really enjoy it. Do you know what I'm saying? So if it were that simple, in other words, it's 100% bad and 0% good, nobody is ever going to have difficulty changing their behavior. And this is where I and a lot of harm reduction therapists and a lot of therapists who are in the new trend of addiction treatment tend to differ with the more traditional stalwarts who think addiction is a disease. You know, because in my example, a lot of the antiquated ideas about it being a disease model would say that, well, the, it is 100% bad and there is no benefit, but the reason why the person has such a hard time giving it up is it's a disease. And that is a bunch of crud as far as I'm concerned. Number one, as I've talked about in my other podcasts, there is so much evidence that it is not a disease and it is more a psychological dependency, if anything, um, which can be changed through behavior modification and cognitive modification and therapy. So, you know, that's number one. But number two, in every case of addiction, you can and you always will find that there is a very real benefit that the person derives from it. In fact, I would argue there are usually more than one benefit that a person gets from an an addiction. And that is why it is so hard to give it up. It's not because it's a disease or it's simply an ingrained habit that explains the great difficulty that people have not engaging in it. It explains why people can be abstinent from a substance for many years and all of a sudden have a strong urge and desire to go back to it because they haven't successfully found a a healthier alternative 
to deal with whatever it was that the addiction was dealing with for them. So I wanted to end this podcast with this kind of idea or thought, and that is you need to really think about what stage of change you're in and how ready you are to make the change. And by looking at it that way, you'll really start to come to an understanding of your level of commitment and will really be, begin to have a real thoughtful discussion with yourself about the pros and cons of making a change and what it really will entail. And that can include the financial costs, if we're talking about therapy, that I basically went over in great detail in my first episode. This is Dr. Eric Fields. I hope you enjoyed the, po- uh, the podcast. Wish everyone good mental health and hope anyone out there struggling with an addiction makes the decision to reach out to a therapist and get involved with treatment.